Good morning and welcome to the first of a series of talks on WBOC here that we're calling Words of Hope. The Bible says you should know those that labor among us. So just a brief introduction about who I am. I'm Mark Yoder, born and raised in the Mennonite community of Greenwood. Uh, Today, one of the pastors of the Greenwood Mennonite Church and also the owner and administrator of the Country Rest Home and Greenwood Country Retirement. But I just want to give a disclaimer. These talks are not about promoting our church or the business. My goal, as we share here, is to just bring hope and encouragement to many people who may have somewhere lost that hope along the way. I believe a biblical definition of a stronghold is that when there's an area of life in our lives that is filled with hopelessness where we believe nothing good can come out of what has happened. Sometimes that is in a failed marriage. Sometimes it's in a financial situation, a health issue. In my own life, one of those times came when we faced mental health crises. And I told the Lord over and over, nothing good can come of this. I just want it to go away. I don't want a story of how you fixed it, but just that it goes away. And so I believe with all my heart today that when God comes into these situations, he indeed does redeem a lot of those messes. And when we have the words of and understand the ways of God, so much begins to change. There's a verse in the Bible that says God made his acts known to the children of Israel, but he made his ways known to Moses. And many people see little acts of God here. They recognize him in creation, but they miss the ways of God. And so one of my desires as we share together is to have an understanding of how God works. Today, when I share words of hope, I especially want to go to what I believe are the most important words of hope and message of hope that there is in the whole world. I want to build this uh, teaching on three personal illustrations. About 12, 15 years ago, I had a call saying, Mark, you're needed at the nursing home. I went there and found a fairly angry young man, upset about some things that had happened in the morning. He had had a disagreement with his wife. And in the course of our conversation, I asked him if we could have a spiritual conversation and he said, well, first let me tell you a story. And he told me this, that a few years earlier, his son had been in the hospital very, very sick. He had, I think, what they thought was spinal meningitis, run a high fever for days. And finally, one evening, the doctor came in and told this man, there's really nothing more that we can do. We don't think your son will live till morning. I'm sorry. And he walked out. This man got on his knees and he prayed, Lord, if you heal my son, I'll serve you the rest of my life. He said a few hours later, his son's fever broke and the morning was fine and has been fine ever since. But he went on to say that I've not been able to figure out how to keep my side of this bargain. He said, I've gone to church I've read my Bible, but I just cannot figure out how to serve the Lord. And I said to him, let me tell you a story. And in a few minutes, I want to share that story with you today. 
Hopefully it'll bring you hope because as he heard that, he said, that's it. That's what I've been needing. And I believe that for many people that are struggling with feeling lost in how to serve the Lord, that there's often very simple answers and very uncomplicated principles that can bring hope into that situation. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your
this man I just told you about who said he could never figure out how to serve the Lord, one of the things I believe many, many people that I know have set their heart to following the Lord, and it just doesn't seem to work the way they thought it should. They become frustrated. In many cases, people will say, I'd have no, I didn't sign up to be a hypocrite. I don't want to look in the mirror at night and say, you know, you're professing one thing and living another. And so in that case, many people walk away in discouragement and frustration. And some people have just reached a place where they feel like this nothing makes sense. Uh, my second story happened about probably 11 years ago. A man was referred to me as interested in one of our retirement homes. We met together and discussed the situation and finally had agreed to what would work for the two of us. In that discussion, we had a time of talking spiritually, something I thought went pretty well. But at the end of all of this, he said to me, Mark, I want to come to your retirement community, but I don't want you coming to preach at me every day. And I kind of laughed, said, well, preaching's what I do, but I promise it won't be every day. And any time you've had enough, you can tell me that. My dad had a saying, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And so I've learned over the years that it's kind of ridiculous to try to convince people against their will. So this man was with us in that home for about nine years. We may have had five or six conversations, spiritual conversations, many more conversations during that time. And then he became very sick. He was um, in congestive heart failure. He went on hospice. And one day I went to him and I said, you know, I wish after all these years that you could make peace with God before you die. I wish you could find the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. And he said quite dramatically, he said, all the forces of all the world could never compel me to become a Christian. And I said, why is that? Why do you feel so strong about it? And he said, because there's just so many things that don't make sense. There's just so many things that don't add up and I'm not buying it. And he was referring to some of his personal struggles, um, sexual orientation, things like that, that he felt he had been given an unfair advantage in life. So I said to him, what, what would happen if you would forget all the things you don't understand and just focus on a few things that you do understand? And he said, well, like what, for example? And I said, well, you could just acknowledge that there is a creator God who's much wiser and bigger than any of us who... Uh, might, if you came to him humbly and asked him for wisdom and direction, I said, I'm not promising you that would take you to Jesus, but it just might. Well, he said, you know, there's a lot of people that don't believe in God. And I said, yeah, but 90% of our world believes that there is a creator God, that life doesn't come from non-life and order doesn't come from chaos and random chance. And even if you wanted to play a game of who wants to be a millionaire, you'd probably be wise to take the 90%. And once more, he got quite dramatic, and he said, my life is defined by that vast panorama of the unknown, and your life is defined by just a few things that you believe and think are true. 
And he set me on a course of thinking and reflecting that I think he meant that as an insult, but in many ways I took it as a compliment because in life there are many things that we don't understand and there are many things that are too complicated for us to figure out. But when we focus on a few things that we can understand and a few things that do make sense, many times the truth becomes clear and direction becomes obvious. I'm sorry to report that this man never did find that grace. He ended up taking his own life in what was a very difficult situation. And my heart was sick. And, and interestingly, then it was a few weeks after that happened that I got a call from another family saying we are no longer able to take care of our father and we wish you would We'd like for you to take him there to the nursing home. So I went and picked him up. And on the way home, we had a conversation, which I usually try to do, and asked him a bit about his spiritual life. And he said, I am not a spiritual man, and I'm not interested. I really don't want to talk about it. And once again, I think we respect and appreciate those limits. And I didn't say any more. Soon after he was at our nursing home, he, um, start, he, his, he was filling up with fluid. He, he was also in congestive heart failure. The family decided to take him to the hospital one more time. They put him through whatever to get him feeling better. But while they were there, they made the decision that he would be on hospice. They wouldn't go back to the hospital after that. When they brought him home, they were there in the lobby um, outside my office. My son was there I wasn't there at that time and he was eavesdropping on the conversation and they reviewed with him you know we're not going back to the hospital the next time we'll give you some comfort measures and so likely you're not going to live real long and he said I'm okay with that that's our decision that's what I want one of his family members went to him and just said dad I wish you could I wish you could make peace with God before the end. And once again, he said kind of harshly that I'm not interested. It's not who I am. It's not what I want to be. My son noticed that a little later, this lady was in the corner with tears, just feeling sad about this. He went over and said, I'm sorry, I was eavesdropping. But my dad loves to share the gospel with people, and I will have him talk to your father. Let's pray that his heart would be open, he said. So that later that day, he came to me and said, you need to go talk to this guy. I'm going to call him Ed. He said, I promised you would talk to him. So sometime today, Dad, you must get in there. Well, I told him, I said, I've already talked to him, and he didn't really want to speak about spiritual things, but I'll try it again. So that evening I went in and I said, Ed, I'd like to talk to you about your spiritual journey. He said, well, come on in. And I said, why don't we begin tonight with you telling me how you got to this place in your journey? And he said, well, Mark, he said, I went to a liberal arts college, and let's just say that pretty much um, destroyed my faith. But when he said that, my heart sank because... I knew that many times 
colleges do systematically destroy the faith of a young person. They make fun of the Bible. They 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 act like it's um, full of mistakes and fairy tales and so on. And so if the Bible is inaccurate and incorrect, then certainly the message of that Bible is also unsafe. So when he said that, I said, you're telling me, Ed, that you have a hard time believing the Bible. He said, yes, I do. I said, well, can you tell me an example of something that you feel is difficult for you? Because many times people just have this general feeling, but not specific things. And he said, well, I believe it's hard for me to believe, he said, that Jesus could walk on water. And I immediately thought, well, that wasn't as tough as some questions that even I have. But I just said, well, those of us who believe that Jesus made the water and the world and all that's in it, We don't have very much difficulty believing he could walk on water as well as do some of the other miracles that he chose to do from time to time to prove who he was. So, um, but I said to him at this point, I said, you know, there are questions. There are plenty of questions. But what if, instead of looking at all the things we don't understand, and I was thinking of this man I talked to a few weeks earlier, I said, what if we would just look at a few things and let me tell you a story? And he said, okay. And in a minute, I'll share with you that story and how he responded to it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. was lost but now I'm found was blind but now I see t'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how brave I first believe my chains are As long as life endures 
story that I shared with Ed and I'm about to share with you to me is the simplest presentation of the gospel that I know. I believe it is what the Bible teaches and about how to have peace with God and to be restored in relationship and it comes basically straight out of the Bible. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He made everything good. His crowning creation was man made in his image. When God uh, finished it all, he said it was very good. He put man in a garden and he gave him one test. He put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right there in the middle of the garden, right beside the tree of life. And I've often wondered why he did that. Um, But in any case, I believe it was a test God did not make robots. He made people with a free will, and we still have that free will. If you remember the story, Satan came in the form of a serpent, tempted Eve, saying, did God really say you can't eat of it? And she responded, yes, we're not to eat or even touch. I don't know if that was uh, suggested or not, but in any case, Satan said, God knows when you eat, you'll be like him. And so when she saw the food was good to eat and good to look at, good to make her wise, she took and gave to her husband. The Bible says at that point that their eyes were open and they were ashamed because they saw that they were naked. Before that, they were naked and not ashamed, if you remember that story. And they immediately went and made clothing for themselves and I often ask the question, do you know what they used to clothe themselves? Most people do know that they sewed fig leaves together, and we all know that fig leaves don't cover very well. Even in the old Bible pictures, we still see them hidden in the bushes because it wasn't quite safe to to show how the artist depicted them in fig leaves. As soon as you run or jump or something else, you're naked again. God came into that place and ask a question. I believe it's a question he still asks today, and he says, where are you? And Adam replied, we're ashamed because we're naked. The Lord asked a second question, which I think is interesting because you know he knew the answer. But he said, who told you you're naked? Because many people listen to Satan and his lies saying, Look at you. You're no good. You never were any good. You never will be any good. And many times minimizes a sin before it's done and then makes it seem hopeless afterwards. Anyway, God dealt with this sin and took the action that was needed, the judgments that were needed. But at the end of that, God made clothing for Adam and Eve. 
And this is a question I ask many people. Do you know what God used to clothe Adam and Eve? I have found that if you know what he used, you're awfully close to the gospel and understanding what the story of the gospel is. But he made, he used animal skins to make clothing, which shows and demonstrates that there was a death for sin. If you look at the Old Testament, you'll see this theme again and again. Many people have struggled over the years with the story of Cain and Abel. Why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and reject Cain's? And if you look, Cain brought from the field, but Abel brought from the flock. Obviously, they had been taught about that. In the story of um, Passover, they put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost so that the death angel would pass over. In times when they sinned, they were to bring a sacrifice. But my favorite story of all is the story of Abraham and Isaac. Isaac is clearly a type of Jesus. His mother was barren and past the age of childbirth when God supernaturally allowed her to have a child, which is a type of the virgin birth. Then God came to Abraham and said, I want you to offer this son as a sacrifice. I want you to take him to the place where I'll show you. Many people believe that God took Abraham to the exact spot where Jesus was crucified. Can't prove that, but I know that God does many things and types. And as they're walking towards this place of sacrifice, Isaac carrying the wood, which is a type of Jesus carrying his cross. Isaac looks the situation over and he doesn't like it too well. He says, Father, we have wood and we have fire, but where is the lamb? And Abraham answered in what I think to be one of the most profound statements in all the Bible. He said, God will provide himself a lamb, meaning two things. He was saying to his son, when we get there, I don't believe it'll be you that'll be sacrificed, but there'll be a sacrifice in your place. If you know the story, there was a ram caught in a thicket that was offered in place of Isaac. But in addition to that, God was saying God himself would become a lamb. Over and over and over again, I've tell people this is the story of our gospel. When Jesus was introduced to the world, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Just recently, I've been fascinated by a little side story there that the angel said, um, this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And I've heard recently that there was a, a stable there where Levitical priests each year would keep the little lamb that was going to be the Passover lamb. They would actually wrap that little lamb in swaddling clothes. In my mind, I wonder if those shepherds were able to kind of say, make a connection to this little baby being the lamb of God. But I do know this, that when, they, when John the Baptist came and introduced Jesus to his disciples and to those that were there, his words were, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. As I shared that story with Ed, I could tell he was listening and processing it. About that time in the story, my son knocked on the door and said, Could I come in? He said, I've been eavesdropping again, could I, but could I come in and be part of this? And we waved him in, 
And I said to Ed, so Ed, what did you think of that story? Do you believe it's true? And he said, you know, Mark, the way you've shared that story today, I have to believe it's true. And I said, Ed, do you want that Jesus to be your Savior, the Lamb of God that takes away your sins? He looked over at my son. He said, there's nothing else out there, is there? My son said, no. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved. Then Ed said, you know, they tell me I'm going to die soon. I'm not going to live long. And he looked at the two of us and he said, I want Jesus to be my Savior. We led him in a simple prayer. And I remember thinking, I wonder if this is real. But as Ed broke down and cried, asking Jesus to be his Lord and Savior, the precious part for me in that moment was there were still tons of questions and unanswered perplexities. And if Ed and I would have talked, we would have had some more things we could have discussed that didn't make sense. But people, I share with you today that there is no better news than the story that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I believe with all my heart, if you begin there in your Christian journey, you get to have a big level of relaxing, a big place where you no longer are striving and struggling and wondering. And there comes a time in your life when you just rest in Jesus. Now, in the weeks coming, Lord willing, I want to share a lot of principles about how to get in step and walk in the ways of God. But I would just remind you today, there's no going on with Jesus if you never start right here at this place of taking him as Lord and Savior. In many cases, people say, what do I need to do? I have often used the illustration. If you want to get married, you have to say, I do. You can talk about marriage and you can even take some of the privileges of marriage, but you're not married until you say, I do. And we say that about the relationship with Jesus. There has to come a time when you say yes to him. It's not complicated words. If you've ever been to a wedding ceremony, you're always shocked at how quick it goes and how soon it's done, but it changes a life forever. And if that's true between a man and a woman, how much more is it true between God and us? So today I invite you, wherever you're at in your journey, to just reach out in simple words, say, Jesus, I'm yours. Everything I have, I bring to you. Today I know that you are the Lamb of God that takes away my sin, and I'm going to rest in the finished work that you did at the cross. Such freedom, such liberty can come into our lives when we do that. Thank you for being part of this today, and we'll look forward to sharing some more in the weeks ahead.